Did you know you've already learned enough to know how to start a church, to know how to church, have church government, to know how to pray, to know how to be led? You've already had enough to do that in church. And most churches don't do a thing up close to it. We're going to go our way when it comes to something. If bylaws don't say it around here, we ain't doing it. Let me tell you something. If the bylaws are contradicted or contradict the Bible, the bylaws ought to go or they need to be corrected greatly. The Bible takes precedent over every book that we teach in the Bible. Now look at Acts chapter 5 or that we teach anywhere. Acts chapter 5, do you have it? Look at verse 17. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Now, you remember last time, Ananias and Sapphira put on a face, tried to fake. They wanted, they wanted everybody to think they were spiritual, but they weren't. A lot of people want people to think they're spiritual, and they're not. And so they seen Barnabas give this great amount of money, and everybody was, uh, he, didn't, he didn't gloat over it. He didn't mention it. He didn't say anything about it. There wasn't a, a little old sign put on the end of his pew saying, this given by Barnabas. There wasn't anything like that at all. And Barnabas just gave and walked out just like anybody else would do. And so they saw what he'd done, and Barnabas considered a, a great uh, leader and respected in the church, so they thought, wow, we'd like to move up, you know, we'd like to be somebody in the church. And so uh, they had a piece of property and they went and sold it. Before they sold it, they got together. They said, you know, I think we ought to keep half of that to live on. And of course, him and her both agreed on it. And they agreed to come in at two different times so that she could come pressing in later about three hours after he did. And so that's exactly what happened. He comes walking in, you know, all cock, cocky like a rooster, and he, he walks down the aisle, and he lays his, his offering down, and when you put your offering on the altar, that meant you was laying it all right there, everything right there. And Peter looked at him and said, why did God put in your heart, why did Satan put in your heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost? In other words, the Holy Ghost knows what you give on Sunday. And you don't get a record of that at the end of the year. But there will be a record. And now, now, so they, the, somehow him and her didn't hook up anymore. She didn't get to go to his funeral. Or at least they held, held him out for a little while. And about three hours later, she come prison in. You know, she's all dolled out. And she wanted to be seen. Uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Most of the time... And this this is also true of men, but more so of women. When you see a woman that's not dressed modestly, she's advertising. It's exactly the truth. Now, I don't know where she was not modest. I guess in that day you had to be modest because it was a law. But he comes down, does the same thing, lays it down, said, we've given it all to God. And Peter said, why has Satan filled thine heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost. And she fell over dead, and they carried her out. And that's where we are right here. The Bible says after that happened, the church just started going all over the place. So if we could just have a couple of funerals around here, 
We could have a new building program, amen. I, I got David on standby anytime. I mean, he's ready to go. I'm, he may need some help. We need to call, may need to call the other funeral homes in town to get them all lined up here. I don't know, but uh, someone says, why did God kill them here and other places dis disciplines them in different ways? Here's the reason. He wanted to see that there is the most extreme punishment, which is the sin unto death, and then that down the line, your chastisement, God determines until you get to the place where if you just confess your sins, it's done with. Examine yourself and get it done with. Now, that's the easiest way to do it. Get convicted, bother you, let's go. But today I want to talk to you on this subject Obeying God rather than men are civil disobedience. The word obey in Acts chapter 5, verse number 29, would you look at that? That's the verse I'm going to read today and then draw from several verses. Then Peter and the other apostles, and remember they had been arrested for preaching because they had uh, cast the spirits out, verse 16 said. I mean, they, they, they had emptied out all the places where there, where there was any care given to sick people, all the demon-possessed people they had delivered. They were healed, every one. Wouldn't it be great if you could open a clinic like that? But everybody got healing. Everybody, if you had leprosy where there was no hope, God gave them the power to, to be able to cure leprosy, and so they were put in prison for doing that. How in the world do you put somebody in prison for delivering somebody from a demon? Isn't that ridiculous? How do you put somebody in prison from healing the sick? It's ridiculous, but that's what they did because it made them look too bad. So they put them in prison. Now, the word obey, Remember Acts chapter 5, verse 9, 29? Peter said, and the other apostle answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, you got that? That's called civil disobedience. There are times in our life that the Bible takes precedent over the law of the land. There are times that you cannot and you must not obey the laws of the land if you obey the laws of God. We saw people that has had strong convictions about it. Uh, the lady in Kentucky got fired for writing didn't with a conviction that she didn't want to write marriage lessons to uh, a marriage license to couples that were of the same sex. And I don't blame her. I wouldn't want to work like that too. We never we hadn't done it in all of our history, but now we're going to do it. And so they fired her. She came back with some army. And the army of believers gathered together. You know what they did? They hired her. That was a time to stand. When they told us, if we'd been around during those days, and I can remember times when they consolidated the schools in our, in our county, and I can remember men with overalls and shotguns standing on the courthouse 
backyard ready to kill and fight anybody that would take our schools. So it did happen, though, but it wasn't biblically happening. The church was giving Satan our churches one by one, but yet we was willing to stand for our public school. Now, I want to stand for our public school, and I have, and you know I have, but this church is more important than a public school. And that's what we ought to stand for. And so when you're witnessing to someone and you're told by the law of the land that you can't do that here, we can't have any soliciting. Witness, last, I, last I checked, soliciting means you're trying to sell somebody or get to do somebody something for, for money, right? But well, see, we see, we, we, we do it the opposite way. What we got, we give it away. We don't sell it. We give it away. So when they say you can't witness here, and here you're talking to somebody and God's got them under conviction, there's tear coming in their eye, and you're witnessing. You say, sir, I, I'm sorry right now. I'm talking to this girl. She needs, she needs Jesus, and I'm not going to obey your command right now. And you go ahead, and you, if she rejects Christ or receives Christ, you've done what God told you to do. You say, well, what if he gets mad about it? You'll be on mobile patrol the next day. I think it would be real good if every member in Hillcrest would be on mobile patrol the same day. I do. I think that'd be wonderful. Let them gossip about that for a while. They got a lot of typing to do that. And blah, 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 they really got to go. But it, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be more wouldn't it be wonderful to see our people so on fire for God and so on fire to win people to Christ and so on fire to see the church that Jesus built grow and grow and grow that they would come and say y'all got to quit that you got to quit that you're changing too many lives people are turning around they're not doing we can't even find a public defender anywhere because they're all getting saved wouldn't that be great. Wouldn't it be great if there wasn't anybody to represent the bad guys? And then the bad guys say, well, what are we going to do? And then they start getting saved. Wouldn't that be good? And so civil disobedience, just write, write this down. Anything that would especially cause you or me to sin or disobey God, there should be civil disobedience. Now, I'm going to say that again. Anything that would especially cause me to sin or disobey God, that would be civil disobedience. Now, if, you're, if you walk into a man's business and you pull a man that's running a, some kind of machine away from his machine and start witnessing him, they ought to throw you out, dummy. You know, that man's got to make a living too, just like you do. We have to have some common sense. We've got to know what we're doing. You can't, you can't hurt somebody else to try to help somebody. I'm going to have to stand on my head for you now, I reckon. So to word obey really means to submit to authority. So you keep that mind authority in your mind. 
The word obey means to submit to authority. In this case, God is the authority. Now, to submit to authority means their word exceeds your words, your wishes, and even your will. You get that? Obedience to God is always priority. Write that down. Obedience to God is always priority. Always priority. I know I got saved and before I quit climbing and um, I had them become a tech and, and, and you know, they'd go in, they'd have porn sites on and, and I'd, you know, I'd leave them go somewhere and they'd just laugh and they'd call me in the room and they'd cuss. When they found out, they said, oh, this won't last. <laughs> You'll be back out. Just, you just wait. Friday night, I guarantee you, I know where you're going to be. You're going to be down at the club Friday night. I know where you're going to be. This ain't nothing to this stuff. It's, you, just, uh, you just got all worked up. And they laughed at me all week long. Next week, I come back in. You got drunk this weekend, didn't you? Nope. Didn't. Well, I bet you cussed. Nope. Come close, but it didn't. Now, you that's married understand what I'm saying. And then after a while, weeks kept going by, weeks kept going by, and then one, one of my coworkers' girlfriend got sick and she had cancer. And I said, do you care if I go see her? He was an atheist. He claimed to be an atheist and didn't believe in God. I was the only one that really could talk to him, and so we were riding together one day, and he, he started tearing up, saying, yeah, be all right. And so I drove and got up and didn't really, not sure where she understood the gospel or not, but the Church Christ Church took a tub of water over there with her unconscious and dumped her in that water so that the family would believe she was saved. Now, friend, even a lost person ought to know that won't work. Obedience to God is priority. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, turn, I want you to look at this one because this is a good one. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, yeah, it's all good, I know. It's all good. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 22. Some of your eyes better than mine. I'm going to look what it says. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. That means the, all the, the sacrifices that he had given as a type and a sign and a shadow of the Christ to come and is obeying as in obeying the voice of the Lord. If they didn't offer the sacrifice, they were disobeying. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of ram. For rebellion as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. So in other words, when you don't do what this book says and when you know what this book says and don't do it, and when you keep doing what you know this book said, God said, your days are numbered. 
and his was, of course. So obedience was high stuff with God. He wants obedience anytime. Write down, I'm not going to it. Write down Philippians 2, verse 12 through 14. Chapter 4, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He said, God wants you obedient. And then write down Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. God said he wants you obedient. And there the Bible says that you don't even have to see it. You don't have to see anything to believe God. You don't have to see the ending from the beginning. Just take off doing the right thing. He right? You just take off doing the right thing. You say, reckon I'll get in trouble. Hey, that's, that don't matter. You're not doing God's will to keep out of trouble. You're doing God's will to do God's will. Don't sell simple. I don't know what's about to happen here. Oh, I don't know what this will cause. If I said this, I don't know what that'll do. You set out to do God's will and that is obedience. Even the wind and the sea had sense enough to do that. God said to the wind, be still, it did. Said to the ocean, be calm, it did. Right? He said to the demons, come out, and they did. So there were early believers that demonstrate what it is to obey God rather than men, here they're teaching us, to surrender to the authority as their Lord. So let's look at number one, the object of indignation. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. The object of indignation. The word indignation means heat or boiling. In other words, they were boiling mad, raging mad. They really heated up. How many of you, how many of you just been raging mad? I've seen some of you right here. I've watched it in your eyes. <laughs> I can't stand him. I, hey, I, you don't fool me. Most, most of you don't do that, but there's a few. You can pick it out. You can pick it out. I got that raging hatred in their heart. That's what indignation is. They were boiling. They were he- heated up. And so, look, you may be you may be seized because of it. Look, when they did what they're supposed to do in verse 17 and 18, they were seized. In other words, they laid hold of them just like they'd done earlier. And also, you may be seized, hemmed in a corner somewhere. That's what it means, hemmed in a corner. Sometimes obedience looks like the most foolish thing in the world to do. You could get out of a lot of fixes if you didn't obey God. You could get out of a lot of trouble if you didn't obey God. It looks like the most foolish thing in the world to do, but you seem to be put in a place of helplessness where there's nowhere to go. So what do you do? You obey God. God doesn't give us a chance to say, I want to pick my places. I want to be on mobile patrol on a day when nobody's using it much that day, you know. Secondly, I want you to notice the openness and liberation, Acts chapter 5, verse 19. God had the keys to their cell. (laughs) Isn't that good? Listen, trouble springing up in, in God's children is no problem because all God has to do is shake his keys. Oh, don't worry about it. He said, I got it. I got a key to everything. And sometimes uh, he puts them in. He puts us in a 
a personal place of revelation to get people out. In other words, like John the Baptist. He put John the Baptist in prison, going to get his head cut off. Why did he do that? Because of all the people that come to the prison to hear him give what give his message. That's why. And he lost his head, moved to glory. You see, if there wasn't a place, you know, if Jesus didn't rescue us through the mighty power of his resurrection and give us the promise of heaven, we'd all be the most oppressed-looking bunch it ever was. But John the Baptist didn't claim, didn't bother him at all. He, once he knew he was the real Messiah, he was ready to go. And sometimes you get backed in a corner. Uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, you may not read his book, but Hudson Taylor wrote, uh, when they come to him, he said, we are down to our last bag of rice. Hudson Taylor said, well, then God's ready to do something. <laughs> that, that, would you call that faith? Why would he say that? Because he knew God had called him there. That's the only reason he was there. He knew he was in the will of God. So if the rice run out, it'd be on God. And nothing's ever on God. <laughs> so he knew God was about to do something. Now help me just, just a little bit. And they opened in liberation. Now, the very separated ones and the Sadducees that didn't believe in angels, I think this is funny. The ones that didn't believe in angels that made sure they put them in is the very ones in charge and the angels comes down that they don't believe in and lead them out and they don't have a clue what's happening. See, that's why they're sad, you see. I mean, listen, wouldn't you be? You're supposed to. You're supposed to keep order, and you're mixed in here with the Pharisees. They're all getting together. They're losing their religious position. They're losing their place in the church. They're losing their job in the church. They're losing it, and they get all upset. And so they lock them up to shut them up. And God just knocks the chains off. And leads them out. And then you know what God told them? Go back to doing what I told you to do. But God, don't you want us to run fast as we can? Nope. Go back to do what I told you to do. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Now look at the obliging in that dedication. They did exactly what they were told. Acts 5, verse 20. Acts 5, verse 20 and 21. They did exactly what they were told to do. Look, look what, what the scripture says. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And brother, they had seen eyefuls. Those who had seen the resurrection, that was a pretty good sight, right? And then on the day of Pentecost, those who had seen the Holy Ghost come and light on 3,000 believers, that was a pretty good sight there. And those who heard them speak in another language that wasn't there, that's pretty good hearing there. And so they say, for we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. So we got to do this. We don't have a choice. God's give us no choice. We've got 
to do it. So obedient Christians are not, um, they're not sidekicks with our problems. We don't just try to slip around them or move around them or talk our way out of them. We just go on and do what God said do and let God hold the keys. Okay? Now look what it says. Here's our, here's our message, the prince. Who's the soon coming prince of peace? A young leader is what the word is. In other words, they see him a leader above all others. He's the author and the captain. In fact, the Bible even says he's the author in Hebrews 12 too. He's the author of our salvation. Acts 3.15, he's the prince of life. Hebrews 2 also says that he has captured and has victory over death. Look, and then not only can that prince be the victory and have the victor, but look, he can cleanse us from our sin. That was the best thing these folks needed to hear. They need to know they could get cleansed from their sins. They never were taught that when they went to synagogues or when they went to temple before. They had to go through some kind of motion and they had so crooked it up and so messed it up and so corrupted it that it wasn't even like what God meant for it to be. And so they walked out of there sometimes even worse and more disgusted with the things that were supposed to be of God than they were. Let me ask you something. Don't you think the church could do a little bit better job of when people leave out about the way they feel? Folks, I, I think church ought to be a place to where we come to find grace for the race. Just find grace for the race to keep us running. So here's the last thing. The, the, the overcome with jubilation, verse 41 and 42. Their joy was found in what? Their obedience. Even in pain, even in prison, even being beaten, their joy is in obedience. Now, their joy is not necessarily facial joy. Somebody wipes you across the back, you think you're going to say, do it again, do it again, do it again. <laughs> no. It hurts. And what do you do when it hurts? You wince. And no doubt they wince too. And, and so, uh, look here, there, there's joy, though. They had joy in verse 41 and 42. The Scripture tells us they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for shame. Even though they got beat, beat the terror, we used to say, or beat the daylight, my daddy used to say, out of them. They went walking away from that place, hurting, whipped, beat, and yet they went away rejoicing. That's how it went. Why? Because God let them be the ones that really took the first suffering. And it wouldn't stop from there. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, we probably could use a little trusting and obeying around here, couldn't we? I think we could. 
I think you think we could. We streets of trusting and obeying. I don't think lost people are impressed with size, with technical equipment, smoke coming up. I don't think they're necessarily attracted to that. They can get that any night of the week. But I do think if they come into that church and when they leave, something has impacted them, that's what they can't sleep with. And sometimes we should pray just a little bit harder, amen, for those people that need that. But sometimes we just go on and go on and go on and go on until it gets out of hand. I'm here to tell you, folks, listen. If you read this passage, the people in town was talking about it. Now, listen. <laughs> I, I've made papers. I you know, do, do interviews occasionally, and some of them hadn't been real good. Most of them are now. But uh, this week I had three people. Pull me over. I don't even know. I don't even know how they knew. I didn't know their name, and that's probably my own stupidity for not. But they looked, they said, Brother Glenn. And one of them was under a dryer with them old thing, you know, whatever them things are. It looks like the, you put on your car lugs, you know, it looked like that, and then you stick the stuff all over it, and they pull that big lid down over the top of you. I'd get paranoid, number one, if I was in one of them things. But I start out of there. Of course, you know, I go to shop quite often. And uh, I come out of there, and this lady raised up, messed that, I guess messed up all that stuff, and she grabbed me by the arm. You, Brother Glenton? I... And I had a good reason because her hair was wet. I don't know what she was. She said, don't you, don't you quit like all the rest of them. Please don't quit. I said, don't quit preaching. They're getting fewer and fewer and fewer. And so I thanked her. She said, I listen to you every week. I don't know where she goes to church. Didn't care. Didn't ask. She said, I listen to you every week. And then I was in a restaurant, and somebody called me over to the table and said, don't quit. I, I, don't, I reckon they, they thought I was going to die this week or something. I don't know. <laughs> what a good week. <laughs> and that, don't quit, because I listen to you every Sunday morning. And I get a call from, um, uh, can't even think of the name of the town in Kentucky. And they said, Please don't quit preaching. Can you believe that? Amen. Folks, it's, it's not that people don't want preaching. It's people want somebody to care enough about them to one-on-one -on -one give them the gospel. Every day. Well, they got to walk down. It's not. Folks, I'd, I'd jump up and down if somebody walked down here and said, I got saved and I want everybody to know it. 
Nobody's going to laugh at you. Nobody's going to make fun of you. It's going to be a wonderful thing when people, it, it is. We see it regularly. It's a wonderful thing.